Good morning, Christ Church. Um, this morning, as you have picked up probably by now, we have a baptism to celebrate. We had a couple in the service before, and uh, just a special day of welcoming in these new brothers and sisters in Christ into the family of God. This will follow immediately after the sermon. We'll all head out to the courtyard, to the baptismal fountain out there. We'll come back in. Um, but one of the things that's really cool about today and some of what merges is it's also the day in which our gospel reading from our lectionary, which is basically a schedule of our scripture reading for Sunday mornings, our gospel reading gives us the good shepherd. And um, it's a perfect and beautiful complement to the baptism uh, that we're going to be celebrating. This shepherd under whom we love and live and serve, we're going to hear about today from this text. We have a number of ways of describing the relationship between people and their leaders. If you think about it, there's, you, know, you could probably come up, brainstorm a list of five or six. Here are a few. There's boss, employee, pretty common. There's politicians and constituents. There's teachers and students. And you, the list could go on of ways that, that relationship between leaders and their people. In the ancient world, a really common one was shepherd-sheep analogy. It was a common way to talk about the relationship between people and their leaders. In John 10, Jesus picks this up and he says, he claims boldly, I am the good shepherd. Now, let me just say a little bit about sheep. Sheep are utterly dependent upon the shepherds for protection from harm, for guidance toward food, to walk toward water. Anybody, actually, and after the first service, I had a few people come up to me afterwards who have a history with sheep. They grew up on a farm, or the parents did, so on, and they all confirmed sheep are stupid. They are one of the dumbest animals out there. They absolutely depend on somebody taking care of them and telling them where to go, how to be safe, guiding them, protecting them. The desert also, in the particular context in which Jesus is speaking about himself as a shepherd, the desert poses additional threats. Uh, you have water that's hard to find for the sheep. They really need especially they need guidance to be led. They need more guidance than perhaps other places to be led to the green pastures and places that they can actually find food. Also in the desert, you have hyenas and wolves. And in that day, and in some places in the world still, there are thieves who will steal sheep. And then, of course, you have disease and ways that that can be prevented or addressed when sheep get a disease. So you have got the sheep on the one hand. Now, a word about shepherds. Not all shepherds are good. We know this. We have leaders from uh, all really across the spectrum, good to bad, the best to the worst. Every human being, of course, is flawed. But some failures of leadership are especially consequential, some even dreadful. We've known a failure of leadership in our own nation, in the treatment of native peoples or black people or people in the womb, failures of leadership. Justice does not always prevail in our courts. Our schools sometimes fail our children. Parents, the shepherds of the home, sometimes abandon post. It happens in the church too. There are too many stories of pastoral collapse, whether it's a failure of nerve, 
or a moral failure, stories of abuse even by people that we thought we could trust. And that too happens in the church and in the world around us. We find ourselves sometimes feeling like what Jesus described as he looked out once upon the people and he said, they're like sheep without a shepherd. We feel sometimes like sheep without a shepherd, not protected, not safe, not led to the places of water and green pastures. It's true today. It was true in Jesus's day. It was true in the ancient world even before Jesus. Jesus didn't bring up this idea. He did not invent this idea of shepherd sheep analogy. And for centuries, it was how the relationship between leaders and people would be described. We get this in Ezekiel, for example. Centuries before Jesus, the prophet Ezekiel is speaking the words of God to the people of God. And he says this, chapter 34 of Ezekiel, the word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Thus says the Lord of God, my sheep have become a prey and my sheep have become food for all the wild beasts since there was no shepherd. And because my shepherds have not searched for my sheep. Thus says the Lord God, behold, I am against the shepherds. This is the judgment of God against those he has charged to be shepherds of the flock who do not protect the flock, who cause harm even to the flock. This is a well-known passage among the people and would have been familiar and in people's mind, even as Jesus is speaking in our text from John 10, he's talking to the crowds. They would have known this text. They would have known it, one, because they knew the scriptures, but this text was also read in one of the, every year in one of the feasts of the church. You might have heard how Israel celebrated different feasts throughout the year, whether it was Passover. Um, this one's called the Feast of Dedication. We know it sometimes today as Hanukkah. So it was a feast that they celebrated. Every feast of dedication, this scripture would be read, Ezekiel. It was part of the lectionary of Israel, in other words, that it would come up every year. And they understood this judgment on the shepherds and the God who says he is the shepherd. So it was well known. And Jesus now stands in John chapter 10 before the Pharisee, the religious leaders of his day, He's speaking to those who are the leaders of the people, the Pharisees. He speaks to the religious leaders, and he says, verse 11, I am the good shepherd. Now, first of all, it's an indictment on his audience. They are the religious leaders of the day, and they're the ones that are called to this. He says, I am the good shepherd, but not just I'm the shepherd, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And then later in chapter 10, this is verse 14, he says, again, I am the good shepherd. I know my own. I know my own. And my own know me. He then explains what good news this is for the flock. All 42 verses of chapter 10, it's the whole chapter, are about the good shepherd. And it's all one story. It's all one big story description, extended description of Jesus' claim to be the good shepherd and what that means for the people, the repercussions or implications of that, that claim to be the good shepherd. 
Jesus gives us two really clear descriptions of the goodness of being sheep under his care, under the care of the good shepherd. Number one, first of all, he gives us this. Because Jesus is the good shepherd, we are personally named and known. Personally named and known. The second one is this. Because Jesus is the good shepherd, he protects us. And he protects us with his life. These are two central thrusts of this whole chapter. Because Jesus is the good shepherd, we are personally named and known. Verse 3 says this, the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. I am the good shepherd, he says. I know my own and my own know me just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. How well does Jesus know you? as well as the Father and Jesus know each other. That intimately. We are personally, individually, uniquely named and known. Our world doesn't treat us that way, though. Our world labels us, classifies us, categorizes us. We're depersonalized at every turn. We are labeled or classified according to our demographic profile, to our voting preference, our skin color, our income level, our purchasing power, our education level. These are all like demographic profiles. And that data is then used and we become a commodity. This is absolutely counter to what it means to be truly named and known as sheep who have a good shepherd. I can't read this chapter in 10, uh, chapter 10 about the good shepherd without thinking about an interaction I once had with Chip Went. As many of you know, Chip and Candy, they run a restaurant in town called Food Heads. And that restaurant has, has at times been kind of like an extended facility of the church. They've hosted so many Bible studies and events and college groups, and it's just like their space is uh, part of our ministry space because of their generosity. And I was there with them once at Food Heads, and I left one night, uh, and as I was walking out, Chip handed me a carton of a dozen eggs. And um, here they are. We look at this carton, and when asked, what's in there? We might say, Eggs. Chip, however, hands me the carton and he opens it up and he says, that chocolate brown one there, that came from Charlie. Charlie is a cuckoo moran breed. And that light brown egg, that's from Mumbles and Blue. They're a breed called Cochines. And the white eggs, those are from Bean, which is a silver-laced Polish and the green and blue ones come from our Latin ladies, he called them. <laughs> they are Americanas. A shepherd knows his sheep. A farmer knows his hens. And we wonder, does anyone care to open us up and see beyond the generic description of who we are? Jesus says you're not a profile, you're not a statistic, you're not a pedigree, you're not your purchasing power, 
Jesus looks through your eyes and into your soul and he says, you are Tom and Catherine and Henry and Elizabeth. The sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them. I know my own, and my own know me, he says, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. I know my story. I know my shortcomings and my sin. And I frequently feel the the grips of Paul's self-description when he says, I don't understand what I do. I do the things I don't want to do. I don't do the things I do want to do. I remember one moment when the mercies of God became especially uh, clear and personal to me, for me. I was at a conference, and uh, the worship leader was leading through different songs. And at one point, she, she went off the song. It was not a song with the lyrics up on the screen. And she just started singing these two lines over and over and over. And she just sang them over us. And it was not so much a song that we were meant to join in with, but to just let this song wash over us. And here's what she would sing. This is the truth of God's heart. I knew what I was getting into when I called your name. I knew what I was getting into, and I called you just the same. I knew what I was getting into when I called your name. I knew what I was getting into, and I called you just the same. And my response surprised me. It just, I was undone. It touched some place of me, in me, deep, that must have wondered, God, did you know what you were getting into when you called my name? God, did you know what you were getting into when you made me a father? Did you know what you were getting into when you called me to be a pastor? And he says, I knew what I was getting into when I called your name. I knew what I was getting into, and I called you just the same. And he says that for every one of you, every one of us. He knew what he was getting into when he called you by name. He's not surprised by you, by your life. He's not surprised by your flaws or your sins or the ways that you stumble or those things that are besetting or the things that fall apart. And when you fall apart, he's not surprised by any of that. He called you, and he calls you anyway knowing all of this about you. I wept at the words of mercy that I needed to hear, not the fact that my father sees me, all of me, always has seen me. He's not one bit surprised by me. And this is Jesus, the good shepherd. The shepherd that knows us by name and calls us by name, loves us personally. Because Jesus is the good shepherd, We are also protected from our enemies. This is the other major thrust of the chapter. Our wolves are the world, the flesh, and the devil. About to have a baptism in those three categories. Uh, Parker Owen, who's being baptized, will renounce the world, the flesh, and the devil. Three renunciations and then three affirmations that he'll say yes to these three things that are the alternative to that. Our wolves are the world, the flesh, and the devil. They try to snatch us away or scatter us. When the wolves come, the hired hand runs away, John 10 says. 
Jesus says. The hired hand runs away because the hired hand has no stake, no ownership. The sheep don't belong to the scattered hand, but the sheep belong to the shepherd. So why is the hired hand going to risk his life or her life? The shepherd will lay down his life. To the hired hand, the sheep are just a paycheck. No interest, no ownership. They run, but Jesus, the good shepherd, never runs, never runs for his life. He says, literally, over my dead body will the enemy snatch away or scatter my sheep. And then at the end of his ministry, the good shepherd tells his father, he reports to them, he says, I've guarded them. Not one of them has been lost, except the son of destruction that the scripture might be fulfilled. Jesus does not run for his life. He lays his life down voluntarily. He offers himself to the wolves. This is an image from, uh, I w- it was in Spain and went to a, a museum called the Prado in Madrid. And it's one of those moments when I stopped. I'd never seen this painting before and I was just in the museum. And when I just stopped, I was just mesmerized. And I just stayed there for the longest time. Just, I, couldn't, I, I, I couldn't walk away quickly or easily. And I just meditated on it for a while. It's by an artist named Zurbaran. Or if you're Spaniard, Zurbaran. <laughs> and he, uh, it was centuries ago that he painted this, and it's called the Agnus Dei, the Lamb of God. And this is the shepherd who became the lamb. This is the paradox of the gospel. The shepherd becomes the lamb who was slain. And here in John 10, it won't be long before the final sacrifice is made in that gospel story, when the shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. This is the good shepherd. Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of the word of the Lord to Ezekiel. Here's what Ezekiel said. For this is what the sovereign Lord says. I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us and became a shepherd who became a lamb. Jesus is the coming of the sovereign Lord who lays down his life for his feet his sheep. Because Jesus is the good shepherd, we can respond in a handful of ways. I want to invite you to consider these three paths that you might go as you reflect on some of what God's speaking to you about him being your good shepherd. And I want to invite you also to perhaps during our communion time to go to a prayer team and there may be something in the message today that touches a place in you that you want to go and seek prayer. There will be prayer teams in the corners during communion. There always are every Sunday. I want to encourage you to make use of that and just go bring whatever it is to ask someone to pray with you. But because Jesus is the good shepherd, we can know first that we are personally named and known. He sees. He sees you. He hears. He hears the cries of your heart. Not for one moment has your life escaped his notice. Not One moment, there's not one moment in which you have taken him by surprise. He is as near as your breath. Know that you're named and known. The second one, know that he is the shepherd who cares. Whatever it is that you are afraid of, 
Whatever enemy you face, whatever battle you're fighting, whatever hope is burning bright within you, or whatever hope is dim to a smoldering wick, whatever prayers you speak, whatever struggles you face, he's the good shepherd who cares and laid down his life for you. He keeps watch over you. He protects you with authority and compassion. The third way in which you might be sensing the Lord, the Spirit leading you in response is this. John, the author, the gospel author, also writes some epistles. And in 1 John, same author from our story today, The Good Shepherd, he writes this in 1 John 3. He says, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for others. This is the call. This is the final, the next step. He laid down his life for us and we lay down our lives for others. We love because he first loved us. John continues in that epistle, little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. The call to sacrificial love. Would you join me in prayer? Jesus, we are yours. We offer ourselves to you, and whether it's in the sense of believing and receiving what it means to be so known by you, personally named, that you see us and you, you hear us, would you, would you speak to our hearts, Holy Spirit, deep at that level that, that, we, that we might take that truth in? Lord, For others of us, would you speak to that place in us that needs to know that you are our protector, that you watch over us with authority and compassion, that you are the good shepherd, that whatever abuse of power might have been in our lives that created some kind of wound or ways in which we have been under the care of, of shepherds that were not good, would you heal those wounds? And would you allow us to have tender hearts that trust again and trust your goodness as the good shepherd? And Lord, would you lead us to be a people who love sacrificially 